You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everyone, to Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the official flagship of the team. Today's episode is brought to you courtesy of our friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA, and from there, MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Again, that's MyBookie.ag with the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. So as we chat on this Thursday, the Rockets are now winners of 11 in a row. 108-96 was the final late Wednesday night at home against the Charlotte Hornets. It was the nationally televised game, but it was the back end of the doubleheader, so it didn't end until about 11 p.m. local time. Apologies for not having an immediate post-game episode. Wasn't exactly a close game, which, uh, which I don't think a lot of Rockets fans expected because the Rockets certainly are a better team than the Hornets, but it's certainly great to see the Rockets take care of business in the fashion that they did. The Rockets are now 22-4, and again, winners of 11 in a row. That's second only to the, in the last 10 years, that's second only to the 22-game streak in early 2008. So folks, they have passed the 10-game winning streak from a year ago. This is pretty rarefied error, and like I said, the only better one in the past decade has been the 22-gamer, which I believe is still top three in NBA history. So it's pretty phenomenal what these Rockets are doing right now, and outside of a couple of games in Portland and against uh, uh, New Orleans on Monday. There haven't even been that many close ones in this streak. That's what's remarkable about this. The Hornets got off to a first uh, fast start in the first quarter, but the Rockets blitzed them in that late first, early second time period with a 36-4 to run, including a 25 to nothing spurt at one point. Just phenomenal play by Chris Paul leading that second unit. Chris on the game was clearly your star. 31 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds, was plus 19 in his team best 35 minutes, also shot 10 of 18 from the field and 5 of 9 from 3. Just a phenomenal game from Chris, and it's pretty clear that when the Rockets need Chris Paul, he can step up not just to play alongside James Harden, but he still has that burst to be an alpha dog himself if that's what the Rockets need. And it's coming a great time for them this this week because James Harden, again, Certainly quality, but 21 points, 8 assists, 4 rebounds, 8 of 22 from the field. I don't think James Harden has had quite the same explosive scoring burst this week after he got kneed in the back of the calf at the very end of that Portland game. He did have the great finish on Monday against New Orleans when the Rockets needed him most. James was there. But over the balance of his 31 minutes, and kudos to Mike D'Antoni, they did find a way to keep Harden's minutes down a little bit. But over the balance of his minutes, I don't think he has quite the lift that he did before that calf injury. Now, I think it's minor, but at the end of the day, that's probably going to take 7 to 10 days to fully go away. So right now, I think it's a great sign. Sure, Chris Paul has been great ever since he's been a Rocket. He still has not lost a game with the Rockets. But I think what's best about this, yes, he's leading the second unit. And as I said, that 36-4 run, that 25 nothing in between late in the first, early second quarters, that was certainly the difference maker in this one. But beyond that, I think what really stands out is that he's capable of shouldering that higher burden if that's what the Rockets need from him in a given night. And in this one, I don't want to say that James was bad because, again, 21-8-4, that's better than the vast majority of NBA players could even dream of putting up. But James is not quite himself for the Rockets. So for the Rockets to keep humming at this otherworldly pace they've been on, having won 11 in a row, 
22 and 4 in the year, now 17 of their past 18, just ridiculous numbers, then yes, if James Harden is not all the way in MVP form, you need someone to pick up the slack. And yet again, that was Chris Paul for the second game in a row. So I think it's becoming clear not only is Chris Paul happy to kind of fit in as sort of the, you know, the second banana when James Harden has it going and he's willing to play off the ball to spot up to do those things, but if James doesn't have it for whatever reason, Chris is fully capable of still stepping up and being that alpha, being that lead dog on a team that's really good. And that's great to see, because I think when Chris first came back, it was easy to slide him into a secondary role, let him, when he was leading just the second units, so to speak, late in the first, early in the second quarters, let him kind of uh, take the lead there. But I think recently, especially with what's happened with James's calf being a little sore, you start to see Chris take on even more of a role. I think that's a good sense by Chris for what the team needs him to do. I think it's also great for Rockets fans to see that Chris does have that extra gear, that if the Rockets need that from time to time, he's not just comfortable being a second banana here. He can still be that elite guy that he was on those Clippers teams as recently as the uh, playoffs last year when he just had that phenomenal series in the first round against the Utah Jazz. That's still in Chris Paul if the Rockets need it. I think they need it right now, and fortunately, he's given it to them. Again, Chris and James are not the only players who played well last night. Let's give a shout-out to Nene, who, by the way, had a ridiculous plus 32 in his 18 minutes. Of course, that helped because he was on the floor in that burst late in the first quarter and early in the second when they went on that insane run. Uh, P.J. Tucker, 5 points, but a plus 12 in his 20 minutes. Eric Gordon, another quality game from the field, uh, 4 of 9 from 3, 5 of 12 overall. But Eric Gordon, 17 points in his 27 minutes, was a plus 21, which after Nene was second best on the team. On this homestand, Eric Gordon is now 14 of 24 from the field and 9 of 15 from 3. So Eric is now shooting basically 60% from the field and from 3, which is great after that terrible 10-game stretch. Well, I don't want to say it was terrible because he's still fun ways to contribute. The Rockets won all but one of the games. But the bottom line, he, for a month, shot like barely over 30% from the field and 20% from three. So I know a lot of you guys had questions, and thankfully, now that he's gotten back into the routine at Toyota Center, he seems to be heating up again, which comes at a really great time. So as far as last night, Chris Paul definitely the standout, but this was certainly a team effort. Even Clint Capella, you know, you look at the center matchup, Dwight Howard had 26 and 18. It was a nice game for Dwight, but folks, he had 26 and 18 on 20 shots. Capella had nine points, 11 rebounds, four blocks on five shots. So, again, you can't just look at the topical numbers. You have to look at the efficiency. And if you're looking at Dwight, yeah, he gets the 26 points, but it takes him 20 shots to get there, as opposed to Clint Capella, who's able to have that level of an impact on just five shots. I think it shows you a little bit of a difference in mentality between the two players. And the one slight negative I will say about Dwight and his return, I like that Rockets fans didn't seem to give him a lot of boos. I think a lot of folks, uh, thankfully, had the right attitude in terms of appreciating Dwight, uh, both as a player and especially as a person who is great in the Houston community. Also, he, he was and still is a good player. However, part of the split, I think it's pretty clear that Dwight Howard's vision of how the NBA should work, especially with him, is different in the, than how the Rockets want to play, especially now with Mike D'Antoni. And I think you could clearly see it in this game, because the real difference, you know, certainly the Rockets have the star power, Chris Paul and James Harden, but beyond that, folks, the Hornets shot 4 of 21 from 3, the Rockets, as a team, shot 17 of 45. And so even though the Rockets did not shoot an otherworldly percentage, 17 of 45, that's just below 38%, it's okay, it's nothing great. At the same time, because of the volume and the overall totality of the makes, when one team makes 17 and the other team makes 4, and again, it's not just, yes, the Hornets shot 19%, that's that good, but they also, the Hornets barely attempted 
21 more threes than the Rockets made, which is 17. And then you look uh, on the interior, Dwight Howard played 34 minutes and shot the ball 20 times. Now, kudos to Dwight. He did make eight of his 11 free throws. I know that's always an emphasis for him, and he and he made those. So, yes, um, give him props. That's nice. But in terms of just overall team philosophy, I thought it was very clear in this one. Besides the obvious benefits that the Rockets had in terms of their just overall depth of players, including two superstars in Chris Paul and James Harden, beyond that, I think stylistically, the Hornets looked like a team that just was very outmatched and playing an outdated version of basketball compared to uh, the way the Rockets are. And that's not meant to be a slight at Dwight, but at the same time, if he thinks that, uh, that that's the style of basketball that he should be playing to optimize his effectiveness, I think it's pretty clear that that might not be what's best to optimize team effectiveness in this era of the NBA. And so uh, not that I think any Rockets fans at this point should be doubting Mike D'Antoni and the direction the Rockets took after that 2015-2016 season, but I think certainly uh, seeing that happen, and again, the final is 108-96, but that's only because the Hornets outscored the Rockets 27-17 to in the fourth quarter, which was pretty much all garbage time. This was basically a blowout throughout, other than maybe the first eight minutes or so of the game. Uh, folks, it reflects that the Rockets know exactly what they're doing. Certainly they're playing well now, but I think beyond that, the directions they've taken really ever since hiring Mike D'Antoni in May of 2016, it's been a, a pretty consistent move up, maybe one exception. I know a lot of folks were down on them after the second round series, especially, I don't want to say the series as a whole was poor against the Spurs last year in the playoffs. Certainly the way it ended was, because... Yes, the end of Game 5 and certainly Game 6, losing by almost 40, virtually not showing up. That's a little bit deflating. The good news, Rockets can make some of those wounds go away tomorrow if they take care of business. Tomorrow, uh, Friday night, another 8.30 tip on ESPN. It's the first Rockets-Spurs game. Assuming you exclude the preseason, which I do, it's the first Rockets-Spurs game since that playoff series that ended last May in such terrible fashion for the Rockets. So it's a good opportunity for the Rockets. I'm sure the fans, Toyota Center, it's a blackout game. Wear black. By the way, I think that's a genius move by the marketing folks to uh, call a blackout game against the Spurs because you're going to get Spurs fans who inadvertently participate in it by virtue of all their black stuff for San Antonio. So it should be a fun atmosphere. I know the, the Rockets fans and certainly the Rockets themselves are probably salivating at the opportunity to take out some frustrations on San Antonio. So it should be a fun night tomorrow night. It's certainly not going to be easy, especially now that uh, San Antonio has Kawhi Leonard back. Now, it's not like he's playing full starters minutes yet, but any Kawhi is better than no Kawhi, and so certainly they're a very good team. They're not as good as the Rockets, but they're within five games in the loss column, and when you consider the Rockets only lost four times, that's pretty impressive uh, what the Spurs have been able to do almost the entire year without Kawhi Leonard. So it's going to be a fun matchup at Toyota Center tomorrow night. Look forward to uh, hopefully seeing a lot of you guys there. And folks, if you want to bet on it, the early spread was actually Rockets by 6.5. Last I heard, it actually quickly moved to 7.5. A lot of people like the Rockets in this game, partially based on, of course, the huge margins of victory they've had lately, the 11-game win streak. Maybe some folks betting on the the chip on their shoulder that they'll be playing with to hopefully get this kind of Spurs monkey. I don't know if you can get it totally off your back in one regular season game, but you can at least start the process of that. And folks, uh, if you want to get in on that action, if you want to bet on that game or really any other, folks, I would direct you to my bookie because where you bet, that's as important as who you're betting on. And folks, our sponsors today at my bookie, if you want to make money betting on NBA games or, well, any other sports games for that matter, you got to go to mybookie.ag. They're the only site I recommend. I trust them, but folks, you don't even have to take my word for it. You can check them out yourself. They've got odds on every matchup, including that Spurs Rockets game tomorrow night, and a mobile site that makes wagering on your smartphone a breeze. 
Another potential benefit this time of year, folks, Christmas is coming up, and that means a lot of you guys, well, like myself, you probably need holiday cash. Uh, you got parties, you got gifts, there's all sorts of extra spending this time of year. And folks, my bookie is the place where you can get a lot of cash based on your sports predictions, especially if you're good at it. And if you've been betting on the Rockets lately, that's one way you can make a little bit of extra money as well as this team is playing. So if you go to mybookie.ag, you can bet on all the basketball games. They've also got football, hockey, opportunities to score big every day. So folks, you can play the money line, the side, the total, the props, whatever you want to do. My bookie is your hookup for all your betting needs. And the best part, they offer super fast payouts when you win. So folks, right now, go to MyBookie, join now, and they will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus as long as you use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. That's what you do to activate that offer at MyBookie.ag. Remember, you play, you win, and you get paid. It's that simple. Now, I think the Rockets are feeling pretty good about that Spurs matchup. They certainly should be very motivated. I think the fan base is going to be pretty engaged for this one, which is a good sign because I know a lot of you were concerned about attendance after last night's game. I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But for now, I do want to acknowledge the elephant in the room, which is the injury to Luke Bamute. Last night, late in the second quarter, went in for a dunk. Uh, one of those, his momentum carried him past the bucket, went down, used his arm to brace his fall, and then something happened in his arm to where his shoulder just seemed to give out. Uh, it was initially called a dislocation. The Rockets are not officially, uh, or no, excuse me, the Rockets are officially calling it that. Now, through sources, first broken by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, they're reporting that when Luke went to the doctor today, they did not find any significant structural damage. They're believing he can be back in two to three weeks. That's largely a positive because certainly this could have been a very serious one, depending on the degree of dislocation, um, th that could have done as much as even end his season. But you could tell late last night, Luke Bamute, according to reporters, left the locker room with a smile on his face, didn't have his arm in a sling. So they dodged a bullet on this one. It could have been bad. It wasn't. Nonetheless two to three weeks without Luke Bamute, it is going to hurt because this is one of the better defenders in the NBA. He's also extremely versatile. He's played a lot for the Rockets this year at almost 26 minutes a game, I believe. And so now you're going to be without him, well, certainly for a few games. As I said, the Rockets, they're not officially committing to the timetable. The two to three week timetable is largely from the anonymous sources, which is probably from the Rockets. You're just not going on the record with that. As far as the official update sent to me from the Rockets, they're confirming that he dislocated his left shoulder, but they're saying he will be reevaluated in approximately one week by Dr. Stephen Flores over at Memorial Hermit. So we'll see what happens, but certainly he's out for at least a week. Sounds like two to three. Largely dodged a bullet, but in the short term, it's definitely a hit. And it couldn't come in some ways at a worse time because this weekend you've got Kawhi Leonard uh, Friday night against the Spurs. Then you got on the second end of back-to-back Saturday night against Milwaukee. You've got the Greek Freak. So these are two very long, rangy forwards who can score. Those are the very type of guys that I would think that Bob Mute is particularly suited for, maybe a little more so than P.J. Tucker, who doesn't quite have that same length. Now he's out, and the Rockets have to figure out how to manage for the next at least couple of weeks without a guy who, as I said, has been a, a pretty key part of their rotation at over 25 minutes per game, 6.8 points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 1.3 seals, but more importantly, Bob Mute's contributions come in just his overall team defense, and I think the versatility, the types of matchups that uh, he, he allows Mike D'Antoni to throw in the different configurations of the lineup. Some folks have asked what I think this means for the rotation. Honestly, not a lot. I know some will say, well, Troy Williams is there. Will you give him a shot? 
I would be surprised unless there's foul trouble. Because keep in mind, we have seen over the years that Mike D'Antoni's preferred rotation size is, a, is usually eight. And in this case, eight and a half, because you never know if Nene is going to play every game. So you may have Tarek Black in there. But lately, the Rockets have had a nine and a half man rotation, counting uh, Tarek Black as a half, and then factoring in uh, your usual four off the bench being Nene, Bob Mute, PJ Tucker, and Eric Gordon. So you have those in addition to your starters. D'Antonio, over the course of his career, eight seems to be his preferred number, and he's even done seven at times, although I certainly would not recommend that with so many games still to go. Rockets 22-4, and they still have um, over 55 games still left in this season and a battle for the uh, number one seed in the West, because it's not like the Warriors are losing games either. So I don't expect to see Troy Williams or anyone else that could hypothetically be available immediately, because right now, it's pretty simple that you could simply bump up the minutes for the likes of Eric Gordon, but especially P.J. Tucker a little bit to fill that gap. As I've said, for the Rockets, I think the goal is not to extend any of the regulars beyond 35 minutes or so. That's the point, I think, when you start getting closer to 40 and even low 40s like they did for Ariza and Gordon through stretches last year that I think you asked, you're going to run into problems in terms of a fatigue wall, whatever it may be. I think there's still a way with eight rotation players that you can that you can have a functional rotation and no one exceeds 35 minutes per game. And so if you look at, you know, yes, Luke Mute is averaging over 25 minutes per game. But if you look at P.J. Tucker's minutes over the last uh, couple of weeks, he had 20 Wednesday, 23 Monday, 17 against the Jazz last week. He had two 21-minute games uh, against the Nets and the Pacers on that homestand. P.J. is a guy, and he's certainly healthy now. I know he started a little slow because of the hamstring injury. But, folks, he's capable of giving you 30 minutes a night, and he may have to now. And there are games lately where he's been even under 20. I think because Bahamute, um, because he gives you so many options, if someone seems cold on a given night, if they don't have it, it allows you to kind of keep someone a little soft. You can also throw Eric Gordon in that mix, and that's why it's such a good sign that Eric Gordon is shooting almost 60% from the field, is shooting 60% from behind the arc, this homestand getting going again. When Eric went through his slump, he had games of, uh, he had three games of 26 minutes or fewer. And this is a guy who, to start the year, was averaging close to 35 minutes a night uh, and playing extremely well in the absence of Chris Paul. So you know Eric Gordon is capable of playing more. It's a matter that he has not the past couple of weeks, in large part due to his shooting slump and some of the issues with his efficiency. So it's not that the Rockets can't cover for Bob Mute, because I think it's as simple as, you know, you give a few more minutes to the likes of Tucker and Gordon. Maybe you can nudge Trevor Ariza up a hair, although with Ariza, he's such a valuable component to their defense. He's already playing close to 35, so there may not be much more that you can count on from him. Maybe Ryan Anderson as well, who has not played well the last couple of games at home, did have a great game in Utah last week. So I think maybe you have to be a little bigger probably, in terms of you may not can have a game where you play Ryan Anderson only 17 minutes. You may need to lean on him a little bit more in more traditional lineups for Ryan to get going. I think, in general, it, it, it's gonna where you're going to miss Lupa Amute, it's not so much that you can't replace the minutes. It's that having Lupa Amute gives you a cover for when someone else has an off night. So if PJ, Eric, Ryan, whoever it may be, uh, is not shooting well on a given night, they're just going to have to keep shooting and snap themselves out of it. You're not going to have as much of a luxury to only play them, you know, 20 minutes or 17 minutes. So I mentioned PJ and Eric, their minutes, because, of course, they're off the bench like Bob Mute. Those are a couple of guys you think of. But 
Even Ryan Anderson, he's a starter, but there are games where, you know, certainly against Utah when he had 23 points, 9 of 11 shooting, then he's going to play a lot, played 35 minutes. But then Saturday against Portland and Monday against New Orleans, he played 17 minutes and 18 minutes, respectively, and shot a combined 3 of 10 from the field. So we're, we're having a nine-man rotation with Luke Bamucci. What that lets you do is if somebody's having a cold night, you can just say, hey, you're off tonight. And with Luke, you know, and to be fair, Luke has not exactly been blistering from the field himself of late. He was actually uh, 0 of 7 his last two games against the Blazers and the Pelicans. So his shot, his shot, his form needed a little bit of work at the moment anyway. But I would say Luke's game is unique because really anything Luke gives you offensively is a bonus. With Luke, you know what you're getting is the defense and more specifically the versatility with your lineups. And so if you have a guy who's maybe more dependent on his shot, like a Ryan Anderson or Eric Gordon, and they're cold, all of a sudden those guys, I don't want to say they're a zero, but the quality of their play is not going to be as consistent as it is for a guy like Bob Mute, whose defense is so good that you know that's going to be there every single night. So essentially what you lose with Bob Mute, it's not that you need to call up a Troy Williams or someone else. Now, if there's another injury you do, and when I say call up, I mean promote to the rotation, I'm, certainly you should have him on your bench just to make sure you have the option. But I don't think it's desperate. You can have an eight-man rotation, eight and a half if you count Tarek Black, and be just fine in terms of everyone playing you know, 35 minutes or less, no one being laughably overextended. It's not a catastrophic injury for the Rockets from that standpoint. But it is going to hurt because certainly you're going to miss that length in certain matchups. I think definitely Friday and Saturday are two of them. Hopefully that doesn't cause the Rockets to uh, lose the streak, but we'll see. But beyond that, where it's going to hurt the Rockets, it's less about the it's less about the depth of how do you fill those minutes and more about if PJ or Eric or Ryan has a game where they're starting slow from the field. Can they pull themselves out of it? Can they get it going if they start poorly? Because in the past, when the Rockets have been super deep, excuse me, they have the luxury of turning to Luke, knowing that he's going to be awfully consistent, especially from defense. And if one of those guys that's a little more variable in terms of the shooting doesn't have it going on a given night, that's okay. Now you don't have that. So to me, the Luke injury, it's unfortunate. Big picture, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, really, you should be relieved. And hopefully, you know, the first Warriors matchup is January 4th, and that would be, I, I believe that's exactly three weeks from today. So if he's able to come back within three weeks, and the timetable is two to three, then he will be out there for both of those Warriors games in January. I think Luke, that defensive versatility, that length is especially crucial for that matchup. So if there's a silver lining, that could be it. But in the short term, it's not that you can't fill them in. It's not the Rockets now are suddenly thin. It's that you're going to be having to ask those role players. You're not going to have the luxury to say, it's not their night. You'll get them again the next one. You're going to need Ryan, PJ, Eric. Those guys, whether they're shooting well or not, they're all going to have to play probably at least 25 minutes a game. And if they're not making shots, just keep playing. Pull yourself out of it. The good news, they're all veterans. I think there's a good shot that they will be able to do that. But now that that luxury is not going to be there. You're going to have to see those veterans step up, show the poise. I'm confident they can. I would not be at all surprised if they do, but certainly that's going to be the area to watch over the next week is how those other supporting cast players step up now that you don't have that blanket in the form of Bob Mute that, and I like calling him kind of a blanket because defensively that's what it feels like, and you can just throw that on so many different positions. We even saw Luke Bob Mute essentially playing guard minutes earlier this year when Paul was out. The Rockets couldn't find who the third string, uh, who the third guard after uh Harden and Eric Gordon would be. Bob Mute is just sort of a blanket. He can cover so many positions defensively, and also because his game is not that dependent on his shot, 
then he can also cover for uh, shortcomings if one of your more shooting-oriented players is Cole. Now you don't have that luxury, you don't have that blanket, and so now you're going to need your veterans to step up. Good news, they're certainly qualified, and with James Harden and Chris Paul both humming, certainly they should be getting better looks than ever, and there's an easy case where the Rockets can survive this. But I think that's where you're going to see the impact. It's just going to put more on the plates of PJ, Eric, Ryan, your role players, and we'll start to see, uh, beginning with this back-to-back, and it does hurt a little bit having one less body for the back-to-back uh, tomorrow night and Saturday against the Spurs and the Bucks. Now, for the final part of this podcast, I want to explore the fan angle, because I touched on this earlier. I wanted to address the Bamute situation first, because that's more news. However, I've had a lot of comments on Twitter, and I saw a lot during the game last night. Whenever you have these nationally televised games, which Wednesday nights was, and so will tomorrow night against the Spurs, then certainly it puts a national spotlight on Houston, on Toyota Center, and at times it has not been good, because you see a lot of empty lower-level seats, and folks ask, why is that? When you have a 22-4 and team that has won 11 straight games, 17 of 18, why is this gym not full. And for some people that don't understand the Rockets or maybe the ticket buying marketplace, I've seen some wondering of, do people in Houston not appreciate the Rockets? Are they not over the playoffs last year? What's the pulse of the fan base? And so I want to use this segment to push back at what I see as a a narrative that shouldn't be out there, that Houston is not behind the Rockets or that there's any issue right now with the Rockets not receiving the level of atmosphere that they deserve for their play. And folks, if you're at Toyota Center, and you, and I strongly say you need to judge if you're there, not by watching on TV, because what TV shows you, it's about maybe at most 15% of the arena. The other 85%, especially the upper bowl, I would say even behind the baskets, folks, I'm there, and it's generally full. The fans are excited about this team. I certainly see it at the games. You see it on Rockets Twitter. You see it in my podcast numbers. People want to talk about these Rockets. They are excited about what's going on. There might have been a tiny bit of initial fatigue just with the Astros run going into the first three weeks of the Rockets season. But other than that, folks, people are behind these Rockets. People know just how special this team is. The problem, and it's The problem is a pricing issue, and I don't think it's as simple to fix as a lot of as a lot of people might think. Because you know there are certain reasons why those seats are as pricey as they are. But the seats you're seeing in the lower bowl that are large—I don't want to say largely empty—but you certainly see stretches of empty seats. Generally, at a minimum, you're looking at two hundred dollars. I just for the hell of it, I looked at it. the next few games for the Rockets, because if you buy tickets game by game, there is a dynamic pricing model. Some games are more expensive than others. But about the cheapest game on this homestand would be Monday against the Jazz. It's you know kind of similar to Wednesday against Charlotte in that it's a you know it's kind of a blah opponent, no obvious stars, not a great day of the week, a weeknight, blah blah blah. And if you want to sit in the sections that are you know predominantly in the TV shots down low behind the benches, even for the cheapest game, and this is, again, one out of 41 home games a year, you're looking at shelling out with fees over $200. To put it in perspective, I see a lot of folks comparing, you know, why don't people in Houston appreciate them like they do the Texans or the Astros? Well, the Astros, I want to draw an analogy. Game 7 of the American League Championship Series against the New York Yankees. This was against the Yankees. This was to go to the World Series only the second time in franchise history. This was to win a pennant 
on your own turf, something that has never happened in Astros franchise history, and as I said, against the Yankees. Just an incredible atmosphere. It was lit. Everybody in Houston wanted in there. Folks, you could get lower-level seats for less than $200. It is night and day different than the NBA. It's a limited supply, which which certainly um, has an effect on demand. There's less tickets to go around. And in addition to that, folks, there's just a... It's one out of 41, and there's also the star power angle because the NBA, there is so much, I, I would say, star worship. These guys are so powerful, and that, that inherently comes with a price. Folks are willing to pay that price. It's not like the Rockets aren't selling this inventory. I can promise you, if they were not selling this inventory, you would see markdowns. You would want butts in the seats. They are selling this inventory. The issue is that they are selling top-of-the-line inventory to people and or companies, you know, I would say the corporate dynamic that is not as passionate as many of us talking about them on Twitter or many of you listening to this show. And so many times, you know, they go to a game, but they're going to spend stretches in one of the lounge areas, the club, or maybe if something comes up, if there's bad traffic, if they're having a tough day at work, maybe they don't even sell the tickets at all because they're so well off financially that they can take the hit. There are a lot of things going on, but trust me when I say the Rockets are not having significant problem moving that real estate. That inventory is not the problem. The problem is getting the people who buy that inventory into their seats. And I don't think it's you know just a Houston problem. I would say, honestly, a lot of franchises around the NBA deal with the same dynamic, given the pricing. It's just stuck out, I would say, especially so in Houston, because it, you know in the playoffs last year, that's when you notice it most, and the Rockets are going up against teams like uh, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, when you have those smaller market dynamics, there's less of a corporate factor. There's also less of a traffic factor. There are a lot of reasons why those are kind of outliers. In terms of major markets, which Houston certainly is, the Rockets are not alone in this regard. I would say maybe the only one that's the exception to the rule is Golden State, and that might be because Golden State's such an event with the most loaded team in NBA history, having won two titles in the past three years and three Western Conference titles in the past three years. Those games are an event. There's an obvious difference there that the Rockets, I don't know if they're going to get to that level until they actually win a, a ring. For now, though, you, what I want to start with is just pushing back against the idea you cannot judge empty seats that are going for over $200 a pop at a minimum, and many times a lot more than that, because you don't even see the top of those sections. When I say $200, that's at the very top of those lower sections behind the, the sideline. If you want to be down low, which is what the TV usually sees, the first 15 to 20 rows, many times those you're looking at three, $400 or higher to get in there. So if you want to, if you want to talk about that, it is not fair to judge the pulse of the fan base or the Houston community based on the folks in those seats. Because 99% of you, and I would throw myself in there as well, we can't afford those seats. It doesn't work that way. Folks, as I was saying, even for the, even for the Astros, you draw that comparison. Because folks, can, the Astros, the ticket prices are not there. For the Texans, even those prices are not there. And there's only eight games a year. So a lot of these... It, you know, for the Texans, they're laying games a year. And then a lot of people, the Texans never have a problem filling seats because you never have a problem selling season tickets because there's only eight games a year. Whereas the Rockets, you have 41 games. It's a lot tougher to get people into that season ticket pool. So it's just kind of a double whammy. So that's why I don't think it's fair to look at, you know, especially on a playoff Astros game because everything's different in the playoffs. But even a regular season Astros game or, and by the way, the Astros, it's not like they, you know, even in the playoffs, they had, Barely over 30,000 the Sunday on a weekend day when Justin Verlander threw the AL West clincher, the team's first division title in 16 years. So I don't think that it's the comparisons are even as bad as many of them make them out to be. 
But beyond that, the pricing dynamic at the NBA, there's it's such an intimate crowd. The arenas are smaller. The stars are so big. There's so much money involved. And again, for the Rockets, it's not like they're not selling these seats. They are selling them. It's a matter of getting the butts in the seats to be there. And I understand the drop-off. Again, I'm not trying to say that it's okay, because if the seats were filled, would it be a better atmosphere for the Rockets on the court? Yes, and that would help the team even more. So I get it. But I want to address some of the what I would say the misguided complaints are because it's not like they're not selling these seats. It's not like people in Houston aren't excited. It's that 99% of the fan base is excited, but they simply cannot afford those tickets. It is a non-starter. So we're dealing with an ex- with what I would say is exclusively a corporate problem, or I would say 99% a corporate problem. It's not a reflection on the pulse of the fan base at all. And you know, it's natural to then ask, well, should the Rockets sell such to so to such a corporate? lifestyle? Should they cut prices so that average fans can get there? Maybe a little bit. You can argue in degrees, but I don't think you're going to see any radical change, nor should you, because folks, the prices in the NBA, if the Rockets dramatically cut their prices for those tickets, they're going to be at a competitive disadvantage. This is an expensive team, well over $100 million in terms of payroll. There's going to be even more. Chris Paul, Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella all do raises this offseason. It's pricey to have a team this good. Beyond that, if you want to attract more players to Houston, like Chris Paul came here this past summer. I know the Rockets would love to lure LeBron James next summer. We talked about that on this show a couple of days ago. You want to do those things. You've got to embark on projects like what new owner Tillman Fertitta is looking at in terms of building a new practice facility. All this new state-of-the-art stuff that makes your organization marketable. Well, folks, that money has got to come from somewhere, and that comes from the corporate partners that are supporting this team. So it's important, you know, I get the frustration that the butts are not in the seats, but let's not just demonize the corporate people that are buying them. It's not like they're not playing a role. Even if they're not there, they're playing a large role because they are bankrolling a lot of the great things the Rockets are being able to do. Now, I do think there's some middle ground that can help, but I don't think it's fair to just point blank say that, well, you just cut prices because, yeah, you cut prices and you could get more casual fans in there and, oh, boy, I mean, it would be a lit environment. But then all of a sudden the Rockets would be at a very competitive disadvantage with other teams who are not doing that, and I don't think you guys would like the ultimate results on the floor when the Rockets don't have the, the full revenues. So th- there has to be a middle ground here. It is a corporate problem because of the prices, but there's some benefit to corporate as well. Now, I think you can find a middle ground solutions, and I think that's where we need to be focused on, but I think it starts with acknowledging what the problem is. By the way, I also want to throw out, it's not an issue of game times. I heard so much last year about, you know, 7 versus 7.30, and I've talked with Tad Brown, the Rockets CEO. They examined, you know, where they were in terms of butts in the seats at 7. They compared it to the league average in terms of exactly when uh, fans enter. They didn't buy it as a real problem. I would, the same is true uh, right now, because you look at what happened last night against Charlotte. That was an 8.45 tip. It was 8.30 for TV. By the way, that did not help it either. You know, you have the NBA forcing weird start times like 8.45 locally because it's the second end of a doubleheader. But folks, 8.45, the tip time, traffic is certainly not an issue at that time. That is right when the, f- the fourth quarter is usually starting, and yet the seats still were not full. So the, the things like how passionate is the fan base, um, what time does the game start, that's window dressing. The real issue is the corporate lifestyle and how you can best kind of kind of blend that with um, how you can sort of blend that with getting better atmosphere. Because I've seen a lot of fans point out certain ideas that I don't want to say they have no role at all, but they're not getting at the root of the issue. The root of the issue is pricing 
and you know balancing the need for a great environment. And uh, let's point out these corporate guys. You know, this is a regular season problem. To their credit, they do show up for the playoffs. So I, I'm not I'm not dreading uh, just yet big picture. I, it's primarily a regular season issue. But I think what you need to focus on are ways that can uh, mitigate that. One thing that I think could be hurting this year, for example, is the the Rockets, if you have not noticed already, they have disabled bidding on flash seats for tickets. And if you don't know what flash seats is, that's kind of the third-party uh, digital marketplace where season ticket holders can uh, sell their excess inventory digitally. It makes it very easy. In the past, you could bid on those tickets. They first disabled it in the playoffs against the Spurs. I asked Tad Brown about it then. They didn't commit to it being any sort of permanent decision. The way it was described to me, and it made sense at the time, was to make it more difficult for Spurs fans, given the proximity, to get their hands on those tickets so that you have more Rockets fans in the arena, making it more difficult to sell. That's not really the excuse this year, because it's not just the, the, the Spurs game. As far as I understand it, uh, flash sheet spinning has not been there all year long. And to me, it's unfortunate, because that's the easy way for season ticket holders to sell their left, leftover inventory. Because, for example, you, know, you have one of those seats, let's say, in the Primo TV areas that you buy in a season ticket package for, say, $250 a, a game. Well, folks, you put that on flash seats, and maybe nobody's going to buy it for $250. But you see a bid come in for reasonable, maybe you know $125, about half of it. And rather than get nothing, all you've got to do is click a button on your phone, and all of a sudden... It's sold. It's that easy. And fans did, do put out bids because there are a lot of fans that would love to sit like that for a game or two, especially if they can get a discounted rate. And now that's not really an option. Now, the Flash Seats Marketplace is still there, but because there are no bids, what has to happen is the seller, you know, he might list them at 250 because that's what he would like to sell it at. But then if he wants to get a lower price, he has to keep lowering that price himself. It is very, uh, it, it's not user-friendly. It's it, it requires a ton of effort on the seller's end to go in and continually drop those, drop those prices. And, of course, it also requires more effort on the buyer's end because you constantly have to refresh to see, to, to see exactly, you know, is there something new in my price range as opposed to being able, you know, you place a bid. If you're, if you're a potential buyer, you can sit back and see if somebody accepts the bid. If you're a seller, you can sit back and see, you can sit back and basically see, um, am I going to get a suitable bid? And if I'm happy enough with that price, I can click yes. And even I've gotten some good deals on tickets that way. It's a great system for both sides. Right now, the system requires much more effort on both the buyer and the seller's end. And especially on the seller's end, folks, when you're looking at corporate guys who often have a lot of money, they may say, look, it's not worth it. For the effort, you know, especially if they're well off financially and they're not going to be that hurt by just not losing tickets, they may just say, Either I'll use it myself or I just won't use it at all rather than go through all the extra hoops. And that's essentially what not having the bidding does. And why would the Rockets disable the bidding? As I said in the playoffs, it was described to me as trying to limit the accessibility of the tickets to Spurs fans. I have not heard a reason for why it's disabled this year. I do plan on asking the next time I can uh, hopefully talk to Tad or one of the guys over in tickets. My guess, and this is just my guess, again, I've not been told this, but my guess is that they think that they can get more people into their season ticket pool if they don't have that option. Because if it's 
if it's harder, especially for buyers to get tickets at a discount, then what they want to do, they they want to get more buyers thinking, hey, the way for me to get in these tickets, it's frustrating. If I want to consistently get tickets, I need to become a ticket, uh, a season ticket holder or at least a package holder. What they want to do, because if they get those package holders, that's how they get, uh, you know, repetition because you you know, the odds of a salesman, it's so much easier to re-up an existing package as opposed to go out and get a new client altogether. They want to get you in that habit of buying through them. Also, because you buy through them, they, you know, they sort of have your info. They have a little bit more control over the process, essentially. So it's a calculated gamble and maybe it'll end up working for them. And again, I don't want to say that they're awful for doing this because certainly, you know, there are benefits to them being season ticket holders. Also, there are benefits to you if you go that route. If you become a season ticket holder, then all of a sudden, even if it's expensive, then, boy, you can make your money back in no time if the team goes on a really deep playoff run. I have a lot of buddies that were Astros package and especially season ticket holders, and they made so much money by having uh, early access to playoff tickets at grandfathered in at their lower season ticket prices. Many of them, you know, didn't sell many, they used themselves, so the amount of money they saved by not having to buy on third-party sites was tremendous. So it's it's not just that the Rockets are trying to take advantage of you. No, there are benefits for fans by going the season ticket route as well. But one of the drawbacks, in my opinion, if, if the thing they're trying to do to get more season ticket holders is to sort of uh, take away the bidding on flash sheets and to complicate that marketplace, then I think it makes it harder for that corporate element to be bridged. Because I think, you know, being able to bid at a, in a user-friendly manner for both the buyer and the seller makes it easier to access for everyday fans, also the more passionate fans, to, to access the real estate that that is otherwise often going... Um, or can be going unused. Now, again, it's not as simple as saying they're not using tickets because many times they're in the the lounge or club areas. I've seen some folks saying, well, if the tic- if the seats aren't claimed by halftime, let folks uh, go down there. It's not really that simple because a lot of the time the the seats are claimed. It's just you see them at a stretch during the game when they're in the, where they're in the lounge or the club or somewhere else, and it, it is what it is. But they paid for those tickets, and unfortunately, if they if they pay for those seats, they're theirs. And if they choose to go somewhere else than Toyota Center, well, that kind of sucks. But there's only so much you can do. It's not really reasonable for the Rockets to just open up those seats for whoever. But I do think there are strategies. I think uh, maybe. Flash sheets is one is one route you could go. It's not there now, but it's been there in the past. Also, if you've got ideas, reach out to them. I mean, be respectful, of course. But, of course, you can tweet the Rockets. You can tweet Tad Brown. For general questions, comments, they've got email addresses. If you go to the HoustonToyotaCenter.com, general questions seems to be guest services at Rocketball.com. Put your opinions out there. If you've got ideas, like I said, flash seats seems to be one. I don't Like I said, I can see why... I don't know officially why they took it away. If they think maybe they can get more people in the season ticket pool, maybe that's justification. To me, to me, it does a little more harm than good. I like the flash seat system, and I think it helps bridge that gap a little bit in terms of the corporate seats. But uh, you know, there may be some of you that are more creative than me and have other ideas besides just flash seats. And so, you know, if you're respectful, give it to them. I know they would like to fill those seats as well. It's just from a rocket standpoint. It's not like that money is meaningless. That money that they're getting from the corporate partners, it is, it, it, it's significant. It enables them to field a team that's this great. So there has to be a balance. So, yes, you would like a better atmosphere. Yes, you would like those seats filled. And, by the way, I do think you'll see a lot more of those seats filled for the Spurs on Friday night, given Friday night and also the nature of the opponent. But beyond that, do I think they recognize there's a problem? Sure they do. I think they're open for strategies to... Um, 
to fix it. But I think, A, you need to be aware of exactly what the problem is. It's not like the, pa- the fan base isn't passionate. It's not like it's an issue as simple as switch the game times. It's an issue of corporate money, corporate lifestyle, and how you can best blend that with the need to improve the atmosphere in those very lower seats. And I think, in general, you need to find uh, compromise solutions. Maybe, you know, if you, if you believe in flash seats, you can email or tweet them, ask them why don't you bring that back, say that's potential solution, or if you've got other ideas, I'm sure they'd love to hear from that front as well. But that's why I want to do this segment, is to hammer home the idea that, folks, this is not as simple as fancy to be more excited about the Rockets. No, this is a more complex issue. Those seats are high-value real estate, and in terms of bridging that with the type of diehard fan environment that you you know, would get in terms of maximizing the home court for the team's benefit um, and to make it look great on TV as best as possible, those are not always one and the same. Those are not always compatible. So the, I'm, the Rockets are always trying, and if you think you've got ideas, let them, let them hear from you. But it's a complex issue, and so that's why I want to, you know, on Twitter, people make it seem more simple than it is. It's not a simple issue. There are no easy answers, but could there be answers? Sure. And so uh, if you've got some ideas, like I said, you can tweet them at the Rockets. You can tweet them at Tad Brown. You can tweet them at me, and I'll retweet. Uh, you can, you know, you can email them. You can call their customer service. I think if you're respectful, that they would love to hear from you because the Rockets are a very good organization. They do genuinely care about you guys. They love how much you are there from them. That's why the Rockets have that Red Rowdy section, for example, which few other teams in the NBA do. They care about the environment. They'd like to see it better. It's just you have to draw, um, you know, it's a thin line to walk between having an environment as good as you can while also maximizing uh, profits so that you can have a team as great as any in the league, including the Warriors, even better than the Warriors right now. So that's why with with us in between two nationally televised games on ESPN and the crowd last night seeming a little lethargic on TV, I did want to address this before we get any further. And folks, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be just us talking about it right here on the podcast. You can send in potential solutions if you think you've got some to the Rockets as well. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Anyway, I think that will about do it for this episode. Apologies for going a little long, but I wanted to combine, well, a lot of themes, because we didn't have our usual post-game recap. I was out last night, and so this was my first chance to talk about last night's game, which, again, the Rockets won 108-96, to now winners of 11 in a row, 22-4 overall. 17 of their last 18 games have been wins, which is a phenomenal stretch for the Rockets. But then beyond that, a lot of things to talk about on this Thursday off day. The injury to Luke Bamute's shoulder, which has him out likely for two to three weeks, it seems. And then, of course, the attendance thing, which I promised y'all last night on Twitter I would talk about, because I think it is something, now that the Rockets are having all these nationally televised games, especially two right in a row on this seven-game homestand, longest of the season. So, I think that's something that even though it's not basketball, it's good to get uh, at least get a little bit of um, of attendance talk in there because I know there's a lot of interest, especially amongst Rockets fans in Houston themselves, even beyond Houston. I know there's a lot of you that are just very passionate about wanting this team to look as good as it can and everything about it. That includes the environment at Toyota Center. And certainly more fans in the seats low would help. And hopefully we'll see that as soon as tomorrow night when the Rockets have their big, long-awaited rematch with the San Antonio Spurs. Until then, though, if you want more thoughts from me, we'll have um, we'll have a show this weekend, of course, breaking down the Spurs. Actually, I have two shows this weekend, breaking down the Spurs game. Uh, that will take place Friday night, and then the Bucks game Saturday night. So certainly you can follow the show at Locked on Rockets or subscribe to us anywhere, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, etc., etc. Um, subscribe, leave us a five-star rating. That's how we're able to bring this to you every day. Also, uh, email us, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Questions, suggestions, or if you want to inquire about becoming a potential sponsor, just as the folks at MyBookie were today. 
Remember, if you go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA, they've got odds on every matchup. They've got a friendly mobile site. And by using that LOCKEDONNBA promo code, you activate an offer in which mybookie will match your initial deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Again, mybookie.ag, promo code Locked on NBA. If you support them, that helps support this podcast remain and help it stay as viable as it is right now, the only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. Also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, of course, I'm Ben Dubose, your host, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790. You can follow me on Twitter simply at Ben Dubose. Also, go to LockedOnRockets.com. One final plug, as I said a couple of days ago, we finally got a website for the show, which we have links to not just our podcast, but some exclusive written commentary as well. LockedOnRockets.com, daily updates, and you can find, of course, all of our podcasts, but additional reporting and information from me, Ben Dubose, uh, on a daily, real-time basis or at Ben Dubose on Twitter. Anyway, hope everybody gets some good rest tonight, because tomorrow, if you're going to be at uh, Toyota Center, I hope you uh, bring your voice. Uh, make sure you're well hydrated going in, because I think Rockets first. This is going to be a fun one. The Rockets, yeah, they've won 11 in a row, 17 of 18. There haven't been that many close ones. There haven't been that many that felt truly meaningful. You know, the Rockets played the Warriors' first game of the year. That was on the road. They did have the Thursday game early November against the Cavaliers and LeBron James. They haven't had too many that felt like heavyweight fights. This one tomorrow, especially with Kawhi Leonard, assuming he plays, and I would think that's a safe bet since he came back earlier this week, it's going to feel like a heavyweight fight, especially given uh, there will always be a lot of Spurs fans in the building. That's the way they are. they got a large fan base. And then after what happened in the playoffs last year, oh yeah, it's going to be, it, it, it's going to be quite a scene. So Houston, get your rest tonight. Bring it tomorrow. Rocket Spurs. And folks, if you're not in Houston, of course, 8.30 tip. You can watch it nationally on ESPN or on ESPN3, the ESPN app. This should be easy to follow. And then, of course, uh, following the game, not sure if it'll be tomorrow night or maybe Saturday morning since it's so late. But, uh, yeah, if you stick with us at Lockdown Rockets, we are your your source for daily and post-game podcast commentary on the Rockets, and we'll have you covered here as well. As always, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks to you guys for listening. Have a good night, and we'll talk tomorrow as the Rockets get ready to take on the Spurs.